Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer, and I'm here with Dancewell Podcast. This is my first episode of season five, and I'm very glad to be here. Um, today, I think I have a very timely episode. I'm going to be talking to Emily Meisner, who is the director of the National Dance Institute. Um, and she's going to be talking about so many things, but empowering students in the classroom, um, holding students to high standards, creating positive atmospheres in the dance classroom. And we talk a little bit about, you know, coming back into the classroom post-COVID and what that looks like and making sure that we can create these supportive, fun atmospheres for dance students, um, you know, especially after this very difficult 18 months. So Emily Meisner began teaching and choreographing for National Dance Institute, or NDI, in 2003 and was named director of the NDI Collaborative for Teaching and Learning in 2019. As director, Emily oversees NDI's teacher training initiatives, leads teaching artist training, and serves as a consultant to organizations seeking to learn from the NDI method. Emily has taught in diverse school communities throughout New York City, instructing 500-plus children each week. That's a lot. <laughs> in 2004, she worked with NDI's founder, Jacques D'Ambois, to create the early childhood music and dance program, Arts Encounter. Emily trained intensively and danced professionally with Boston Ballet, where she knows Ellie Kushner from. She has a bachelor's degree in English literature from Columbia University and a master's in education from Bank Street College. We're so happy to have her here. And welcome back to all of our listeners for season five, episode number two. Buckle your seatbelt. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological development. And today you are in for treat. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Emily, and welcome to Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Marissa. Thanks so much for having me. It is my pleasure. Will you start, please, by introducing yourself? Yes, I'd be delighted to. Uh, my name is Emily Meisner. My pronouns are she, her. Um, and I identify as a white, cisgender, non-disabled woman. Um, and today, on this Saturday morning, I find myself in my room. Um, I'm wearing a blue shirt. I have little gold hoop earrings on. And I have um, windows over my left shoulder, sort of streaming some light. And I'm sitting here and talking to you. Excellent. I think we have a lot in common. <laughs> My name is Marissa Schaefer. Many of you know me. Uh, my pronouns are also she, hers. I am also a white, non-disabled, cisgendered female, also sitting near a window, which is coming from my front. I'm wearing a maroon shirt, and I have also gold earrings. They're circular, but not hoops. And I'm <laughs> wearing um, earphones and have a recording device in front of me, and I'm here speaking to you, too. I'm very happy to be here. Um so you're going to be talking to us a little bit about NDI and um, about some of your frameworks, philosophies, and et cetera, and um, you know, NDI in the dance space and different dance spaces and all that stuff. And I thought it would be a good idea if we started with having you just familiarize us with the framework and the philosophy. Great. Yeah. So I'll start with just a tiny bit of history, which I think speaks to the framework and the philosophy. So NDI... National Dance Institute was founded in 1976 um, by Jacques D'Amboise, the you know renowned ballet superstar. And really, you know, he was towards the end of his career at that point with New York City Ballet. 
and really decided that he wanted to bring dance to every child. And he felt that it should be a right, not for, not for the elite, most you know, skilled, uh, highly talented dancer that happens to find their way to dance, but really as a critical, vital component of every child's education. And that's actually why he called it national, because he felt that it should be sort of a national educational goal, um, that it should be a part of every child's education. So that sort of like really encapsulates a lot of our philosophy, which is that dance is, is a critical component of every child's education. Whether or not they want it, whether or not they have any sort of inclination towards it, it's a vital part of being a whole child of having a full, complete education. Um, so that speaks a lot to, to our founding philosophy. Absolutely. And I love, um, you know, I was sent a short video about NDI, you know, as we began talking and there are these great, you know, images and such of, of Jacques with, it started with boys, right? Boys classes. It did. Initially he has, he, Jacques has four children uh-huh. and initially he started a class for his two sons and a bunch of their friends. Nice. trying to get more boys involved in dance. Right. And I kind of like had this idea of like, okay, it's Jacques Dumbois here like from New York City Ballet. It's going to be a ballet class, right? But it's like they're on a roof. There's this great still of them on a roof and there's just this joy in having them move their bodies. And that kind of, I mean, that that image um, was kind of antithetical to what I thought I would be seeing, but also pulls through this whole, you know, video montage of NDI. All these kids look like, I mean, they're just finding the joy in moving their bodies and being together in the space, which is like, it's, it's pretty incredible. And that's really it. I think you hit on a lot of what is key to our philosophy. It's this joy, right? It's this concept of like challenging children a lot, like really bringing this rigor but, but absolutely pairing it with this tremendous joy and that an experience in the arts should be very joyful. Yeah. Um, and that's what children need and crave and are so um, ready for mm-hmm. is both that, that beautiful combination of tremendous challenge and joy right alongside. We often call it joyful rigor. Yes. Um, so it's not like, oh, yeah, you did great and you're not really challenging them. And it's also not just this sort of constant challenge with no um, sense of celebration and joy and uplift. And we try really hard in our in our method and in our approach and in our way of teaching to, to match those, to bring those two together. Yeah. So that this in particular, like really interests me. I think as someone who grew up in this like kind of ballet and like ballet based modern world that was not always as nurturing perhaps is what you're describing like I'm really interested in like if you could give us some examples of how those two coexist in space right like you're you're creating a positive atmosphere while also challenging people not just being like yeah great job exactly yes you, you know that I think it sort of is like our our, our special sauce that yeah. people often turn to us for well, how did you create that um and a part of it is sort of the um the pace within with where we how we teach and that doesn't just mean fast right right people think pace and they think oh just teach really fast well that in and of itself will not make you an effective teacher but it's the sort of flow and the pace and the way that we design our classes and our sort of philosophy and our method 
is to be incredibly engaging very quickly. Mm -hmm. So that students, we're, we're, we're primarily a public school-based program. Sure. I don't think I said that, right? In, in and around the public schools of New York City and then with associate programs all around the country. And students come into our class. They're in the, you know, K to fifth grade primarily, elementary school age. They may or may not want to dance. They may or may not want to be there. They need to be. It's part of their day. And our goal is to very quickly engage them. So how I often start is I'll say challenge number one, and I'll like drop down to the floor. You have eight counts to go from low to standing. Re get ready. Here we go. Five, six, seven. And then we are immediately into our first challenge, but it's a manageable challenge. Sure. It doesn't yet require any real dance knowledge at all. Right. You're counting, you're moving your body in space. We modify those challenges depending on the age, depending on, you know, if we're working with dancers with disabilities, which we do very often, then we modify those challenges to be exactly appropriate for what they need. Mm. Um, but we but we figure out how to be engaging very quickly so that they're captivated. They don't even really realize that they're dancing right. until they're pretty far into it. And then they're like, oh, I just was dancing. Right. And we also try to not talk very much hmm. so that it's very much in the movement. And we work with live music always. So they're sort of bathed in this like sort of, you know, um, teacher energy. There's always two dance teachers and then a musician. And they're like in this flow before they even realize it. Mm. That's a big part of it. Because yeah. if you can get children engaged, then they'll then they'll learn just about anything. Then they're with you. Right. And when you say not stopping, like not talking, I'm assuming you're meaning not like stopping and talking. Like now we're going to talk about why you did this tondu type of deal. Yes. And we also teach a fair amount uh, in silence and using sign language. We do, uh -huh. we do use some ASL, you know, um, I, none of, I wouldn't, oh, well, I do have a couple of, we do have a couple of teachers that are nearly fluent in ASL, but for the for me, I'm not at all. Um, but I know, I know a, a bit and I'm able to utilize, um, some ASL in my teaching and also just move, lead by example, model the movement. And our, our method is based on that. I'll, you know, I'll do eight counts and then they'll go and then I'll go and then they'll go. It's a back and forth. Sure. Um, so, so that it's not, well, let me tell you about what we're going to do. Right. That's a pace crash right there. Sure. I'm not going to tell you about it. We're going to do it. Right. It's like, we're going to experience it. Totally. I'm thinking like a movement call and response moment. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's really, it's that, um, it's based on the call and response, uh, method. Totally. And so I think like, you know, you answering these questions I'm asking is kind of already, starting to answer the question of like how do you teach your teachers to empower their students and also to, to foster collaboration exactly yeah so i think it is it's there are many many tools like that mm -hmm. um you know I'll, I'll give you another example um and this this came directly from jacques many of them came directly from jacques and many of them have evolved over the years with all of our teachers and we've you know figured out um new ways to bring out the very best in children so another specific um, tool that we use and that we train teachers to use is to turn the room around, to flip the room. So in other words, I'm starting, I'm teaching over here, 
within on, on the front, you know, the quote unquote front side of the room or one side of the room, wherever I choose to start, we have no mirrors. Uh -huh. <laughs> We're in, you know, all kinds of spaces. Um, and then within probably four eights, 32 counts, we flip and the entire room just flips right on their spot. And they're facing my co-teacher on the other side of the room. In those, you know, within a short period of time, I've moved now to the side. And then she flips it back to me, she moves, I, or he, and then I flip it back. So very quickly, they're also um, realizing they all matter. No matter where you're spaced in the room, you matter. Mm -hmm. You're a critical, vital component of this class. There's no hiding in the back corner. Sure. Um, there's no, you know, soaking up the front endlessly. It's like every child in this room is super important. Then we go right in the middle and we teach from the middle and two groups face each other and then four groups face each other. So even sort of the architecture of the space is designed to give the message without you ever having to say it, that every child matters and every child's gonna be held accountable. Hmm. So that's another sort of example of how the most kind of technical, it's sort of the way we break up the space, but it represents those larger values. Um, which I think are conveyed very quickly to students. They realize, oh my gosh, I can't hide in this room. Yeah, I might as well step <laughs> sometimes up. They're, sometimes they're not happy about right. that. Right. I can't hide in this room. And, oh, my teacher cares about all of us. Right. Not just the maybe two or three that want to be in the front that like to dance. Right. They might have put themselves there, but the rest are like, oh, wow, okay, mm -hmm. we're all in this. Mm -hmm. And I think it also builds that sense of community. Sure. Within their class. Sure. Like we're, we're working on this together. You know, we say that all the time, like we're a team, we're a group, we're working on this together. We're all in this, you, you know, we need every single dancer in here to really um, complete this experience. Totally. Um, this is a bit of a non sequitur, but something that I'm realizing I'm kind of thinking about is, um, are you teaching like codified movement or you like in terms of like this is now a modern class this is a ballet class or are we just moving our bodies or like how does that work in this framework yeah people ask that a lot like well what's the dance technique and um the truth is the ndi method mm -hmm. which is sort of our approach and our and our tools and our strategies can be applied to absolutely any dance technique mm -hmm. and we've seen that um through the work that i now direct at the ndi collaborative We've seen how if you train and learn sort of our approach and our method, then you can apply it to any dance technique. I've been work, I've done workshops with um, ballet schools. You know, I did some work with Dance Theater of Harlem, some work with ABT. Um, I've done work with some uh, hip hop companies, done work with, it can be a wide range of movement styles. Mm -hmm. And then if you learn the effective teaching strategies, you can apply them to anything. What we do in our schools is not a specific style. We're not teaching ballet, we're not teaching modern. Um, I say that it's it's really movement that's designed to be um, accessible sure. and engaging and very high energy. Mm -hmm. So I often say the closest thing it is, is maybe, maybe like theater dance, like big, bold yeah. movement, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't fit into a category. And it's always evolving. Yeah. Every teacher can bring whatever movement style most resonates with them that we think we have that total freedom that we think the students will be able to capture and really be able to be successful with. Um, 
in this in this approach and in our time frame. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense given your philosophy. A lot of sense. Um, and you picked you touched on something that I also wanted to talk about, which is um, accessibility, right? So you know, you I asked you to start introducing yourself. Um, you know in the way that I've seen you all introduce yourself in workshops and other spaces where you've, you describe your physical location and your, um, your ableness and your, your pronouns and all that kind of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about how you, you know, create your classrooms to be as accessible and inclusive as possible? Yeah, no, I really appreciate that question. I think it's a, a vital part of the work we do and, and a vital part of arts education and all education right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we very intentionally set up our classrooms as to be as accessible, I hope, I hope entirely accessible mm-hmm. as much as that can happen sure. um, to every child. So we're really looking to meet every child where they are. Um, we do have some programs that are very specifically designed for dancers with disabilities in some school settings and also in some of our um, programs that we run outside of school time. And those are often in partnership model. Mm -hmm. So a dancer, you know, uh, a dancer with a disability is partnered with a typically developing peer, aged matched peer. So they develop friendships and they um, really work together and and learn a lot about each other. Um, But we also will just work really, really hard to engage with every child to learn about what we need to know right. um, to help every child be their very best. And we make a lot of adjustments as needed. We are so not a one size fits all kind of pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much, okay, so this child's going to be the stage manager for this part. Sure. You know, I've had, I had a child once that I really was struggling to engage, didn't want to, you know, do the dance part with his class, tried to get him to do the warm up, you know, tried to work on what strategies would work. Turned out he wanted to be the curtain opener. Took so much pride in that job. Asked me to announce his name (laughs) to the audience. He was so proud of it. He practiced over and over again, opening and closing it. I mean, he made it. And you know, that meant the world to him. He was very successful. He was celebrated. He was still engaged right. and still part of it. And and not that I quickly let him off the hook of dancing. Sure. You know, um, we, we worked through a lot of that and he still did a portion of the class. Mm. But when it came time for the performance, like this was the role that really was empowering for him. So it's also figuring out, you know, how to reach each child and be really flexible. Right. And I, you know, that also um, reminds me too about some of the... I don't know if I want to call them testimonials, but some of the quotes from individuals who had gone through NDI programs and then gone on to other things. Um, you know, what what struck me is, I mean, not I, I don't know if it struck me, but like what you're doing in the classroom is effective and goes beyond the classroom, right? And I remember, you know, reading, I can't, can't remember exact quotes and exact um, examples right now, but I remember reading about, you know, some individuals who were like, I, you know, felt so much more confident in my abilities and went on to do X, Y, Z in a completely different sphere, right? Um, and found success in that regard. I was wondering if you could share a couple of stories. Um, those are what we really hope for is that, you know, out of, that's what I hope for, that out of really any deep and meaningful experience with the arts, I hope that children gain confidence, 
gain a sense of their own like self-efficacy and, and empowerment in their own abilities. Um, a sense of community, a sense of collaboration, like those are sort of the um, skills that I really hope that people come out of it with. Also a sense of um, not giving up, perseverance, incredibly important. Um, when you persevere with a very challenging thing, you might show up and think, I've never, I don't know how to dance. I don't even like to dance. Sure. But you persevere and you perform with your class and you're celebrated by your school community and your families. That's a real sense of accomplishment. Sure. Um, so we have had over the years loads, lots and lots of students who've come back and said, you know, I trace my sort of um, sense of self and sense of like ability to accomplish things back to NDI. And I'm, of course, many other places too. Um, but I, I do think there's a piece of our approach that really does build children's confidence and self-esteem because it's like this constant, um, um, uh, a lot of feedback, sure. constant feedback. Yep honest feedback. It's not always, oh, amazing. It's not amazing. It's not amazing. But I might say better than I, you did last time. You're getting there. Right. Yes. Like ways to build their confidence that are honest, that are accurate, and that ultimately continue to make children want to try, right. <laughs> want to, to accept a the next challenge and push themselves. Um, so I definitely, we do find that a lot. And and I hope that that, you know, I hope that for all arts programs, sure. we are not in the business of making dancers, right? We are not in the business of making professional dancers. That is not our goal. Mm -hmm. It does sometimes happen. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. If they start at NDI, and then they go on and train at lots of other places, that'll give them the technical, you know, training, we do a little of that. But um, that's not our main focus. But our main focus is, you know, using the arts to inspire and empower um, children. Totally. So, okay. I know that you just said you're not in the business of making professional dancers. However, I do feel like some of the next questions that I'm going to ask, like push this a little bit into that more codified studio space realm, which I hope is okay, but I'm kind of like interested in how these two things coexist. So we can, we can talk a little into what totally. I'm saying and out of it, you know, it's fluid. But I think one thing that you were saying last spring when we started this conversation is that you hope that children got exposed to dance at a younger age and had a positive experience in the studio, one that affirmed who they are, which we've been talking about. Um, and so I'm kind of curious to see how do you see this framework reaching more spaces so that all studio spaces can become collaborative and accepting ones? Hopefully all. That's all I know that's a lot. You can never say all, but it's a more. <laughs> It's a beautiful vision, Marissa, and I love that. And we need to hold on to that, yeah. right? We need to hold on to that because I think it's very possible. You know, I think it's incredibly possible that studios, and I grew up in a studio setting and in a very rigorous ballet situation, and I, I have great love for that. Mm. Um, and it was very, you know, formative in my life. Um, I think it's very possible that studios can be both extremely rigorous, train the highest caliber of dancers, and also really empower and support and nourish, you know, children who are developing. <laughs> They're developing brains, developing bodies, developing emotional psyches, mm -hmm. like, 
this whole picture, um, I really don't think it's an either or scenario. I really think it's a yes and scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in the sort of very practical sense, I feel that um, the more programs like ours and other ones that are doing this kind of work that can partner with studios and larger, you know, dance education, dance, I not even just dance education, but sort of dance studio settings, the sure. sort of more professional track where that is their goal and it should be. Mm-hmm. And I'm very supportive of that. Yeah. Um, but I think the more that these conversations can happen cross setting, mm-hmm. um, the healthier for everybody. Sure. Because I think there really is a beautiful way to match the rigor with the joy and the and the care. Um, and frankly, going back to Jacques, to Jacques' credit, I mean, he was at he was like a superstar at the highest level, New yes. York City Ballet under George Balanchine. Could have done a million things with his level of fame mm-hmm. at that point and decided to bring dance to ev- to as many children as he could in New York City public schools. Amazing. It's like he flipped the whole narrative on its head. Yeah, yeah. And he was like that. I mean, he was totally like that, you know, really believed that dance is not um, not just for one elite group of people. Mm-hmm. And he saw it as so, it changed his life completely. And he wanted that to be in every child's life. Yeah. Um, so he flipped that narrative. And I, I really think there's a lot that we can do there. Uh, last year, actually, during the pandemic, uh, Daniel Ulbricht, principal dancer with New York City Ballet, and I started talking about the collaborative. He's he's very involved with NDI and was very close to Jacques. And we started thinking about, well, how can we bring these techniques to ballet schools, uh, ballet teachers? So he and I ran a training together online and had lots of um his friends, mostly probably ballet dancers from all around the country, sign in and and teachers, and we experimented with taking elements of the NDI method and applying them very directly to the ballet studio setting. He also exper- has been experimenting in his own teaching and has told me that he's found it very helpful to use some of these tools and techniques to kind of shake it up, flip the ballet classroom around. There's no reason that it has to be you know, changing lines in one way only. Mm-hmm. Why not change the room? Why not suddenly face away from the mirror? He said his students were sort of loved that and it kind of blew things open. And um, so I do think that there is a lot of ways um, that these various settings can support and work together. Um, you know, and by no means here at NDI, by no means are we the experts on ballet technique or any of those modern technique or, um, but we certainly, I think, have a lot to bring to the table about the tools for how to teach whatever it is that you're going for, how to be more effective, um, bring out more in your students, and also, you know, empower and excite and bring out the best in them at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, that that excites me so much because I feel like, from my own perspective, you know, as as a physical therapist who sees a lot of these dancers in this more professional realm, pre-professional track, professional, etc., I 
starting around this time of year is like the the either the um, school year picks up speed, right, um, and all this kind of stuff. I I start to see that the joy that they had from dance kind of gets like squelched almost as mm-hmm. as the studio atmosphere becomes more intense and like sometimes I just want to be like do you love what you're doing can you find joy in the space and it's and it you know and I it's I'm not pointing to anyone as this is like any one particular person's fault it's just kind of is is culturally a thing that is happening in this you know the studio the space the school etc um and Anyway, it brings me a lot of hope to know that there are ways that, you know, you guys and other folks are trying to change that so that we are reminding people why they're doing what they're doing and not losing self, you know, in the studio space. Yeah, exactly. I think the studio space can be a very, very empowering space. And it's just, I mean, it comes down to a great degree. It comes down to the teaching. I mean, that's what I continue and constantly and forever feel is that the impact of a teacher in a child's life is tremendous. It's tremendous. And it, you know, so those of us that are teachers that have chosen this magnificent and challenging profession, um, you know, just need to continually professionally grow um, and stretch and push and challenge ourselves. Um, And there's many, many ways to do that. And I think with the NDI collaborative, that is, one of the main things that we hope to do is bring teachers from all different, you know, settings and dance backgrounds and dance teaching settings together to really learn and share and grow together um, as sort of a community of teachers um, with a lot of these specific tools and techniques at the forefront. Um, And then teachers come and and apply them how they wish. You know, that's the art of teaching. Teaching is an art, it is a craft. We are so not ever saying, do it like this. I'm saying, here's the technique, here's the tool, here's the approach, let's try it. You know, Now go and see what works for you in your setting with your expertise and your artistry and your you know, teaching voice and what feels authentic to you. Sure. Um, in the same way that you want each, ultimately, right? When you're developing dancers and artists, you want each artist and dancer to be the best version of themselves at the highest level of technique that they can get to. I feel very similarly with teachers. You want them to be the most authentic teacher to themselves, Mm -hmm. to bring out the very best in their students um, using all the tools that they can gather. And from, I think, you know, a front of house standpoint, when they can be the best version of themselves as well, that's when you're most excited to see them on stage, I think. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And that's when children going, to, you know, making a parallel, that's when children want to learn from those teachers. Exactly. exactly. You're excited to see that artist on stage. And, you know, if when a teacher is at the very sort of most dynamic part of their teaching or um, really also hopefully feeding themselves with a lot of professional growth mm-hmm. and development, then they, then students want to learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Another like, Another more codified dance space realm question. Um, but so you, we've talked about like holding 
in NDI, the teachers hold their students to like a high standard. Um, and I'm wondering, like in the context, this is not an easy question, but in the context of returning to rehearsals and the studios post-pandemic, when I think there's still a lot of dancers who are holding this emotional weight or have had an emotional toll taken on them in the last 18 months, like how do you suggest through like an NDI lens that we simultaneously push people without pushing them too far? That makes sense. Yeah, it's no, it's a great question and and not an easy one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one that I think all teachers are grappling with right now. I hope um, it's. I think we have to be very, very flexible right now as teachers, and um, come in ready to challenge our students, um, and also come in ready to, you know, take our our agenda and throw it out the window and do what that moment calls for um, with those students and meet them where they are mm-hmm. um, and and not assume anything. I feel like if I've learned anything right now about students, it's that people have a vastly different experiences in the pandemic, yeah. vastly. Mm-hmm. So don't assume, <laughs> we can't assume, I'm trying to remind myself not to assume that I know or even have any sense because of however this experience has been for me, that's very different perhaps, or maybe perhaps not. Each student, it's, it's been a very different experience for everyone. Mm-hmm. So what we've been trying to do as a staff is take lots of social emotional learning workshops and like empower ourselves as teachers to go to other experts out there in, in various areas to learn more of those skills and also to do a good self-assessment. So you know, as a teacher, what you're bringing into the room right. in this very critical moment, um, because that's a load as well. You know, what projections or what stuff are, am I carrying into that room that my students are going to feel, um, or that I might even be projecting onto them in some kind of a way. So we've also been trying to do that sort of internal work to understand, okay, where are we at? so that we can meet our students with as clear vision and as open a space as possible. But it's it's very challenging, Marseille. And, you know, um, we just have to be incredibly flexible right now mm-hmm. and rely on colleagues of teachers, rely on communities of teachers. Um, this is not, this does not strike me as a moment to go it alone. No. <laughs> you know, no. Um, it's really a moment for teachers to be able to have some sense of community and sharing and strategizing together how best to meet the complicated needs of students right now. Yeah. And I think two things come to mind, or one is comment and one's a question, but I think, you know, oftentimes I feel like, at least speaking for myself, it's the hardest to separate yourself and what you're bringing from the space and how you're projecting that from the rest of it. Like that being able to have perspective is challenging, which obviously like necessitates the need to have community, right? And just talk this through. And I, the other thing I'm kind of wondering, you know, I'm seeing in my spheres, there's a lot of communication or there's, we're trying to have more communication in the studio space. In the context of NDI and like public schools where, you know, going back to what we had talked about at the beginning, where you were talking about not using a lot of conversation in space, in the space to like keep the momentum going. Do you find yourselves having a little bit more conversation in light of all this stuff or are you still trying to use the same framework? How is that meshing? 
It's a really timely question mm -hmm. because we expect to go to re-enter the public schools in October. Mm. We're not yet back in them. We've started um, some of our own programming with, um, we run, so out of our, we're in, I think 44 public schools. Out of those schools, we invite a couple of hundred children to dance with us on scholarship on Saturdays throughout the whole year. In the pandemic, that's all been online. Now that's re-emerging and that's like, they're there right now today, this morning, very small groupings, very spread out, all those things. So that those programs are up and running. We've, what we do is we've let the schools, public schools be underway. And then we will commence in the schools in October, once the schools are in a flow and underway. So I don't know the exact answer to that. I know that we're having lots of conversations about that. It is going to have to look different. First of all, we're used to having 30 students, you know, in an auditorium on a stage, really crowded, and that's not no longer possible. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? How does that change our approach and our teaching? Um, everybody will be masked. How does that change the flow? Our classes tend to be extremely rigorous, um, you know, kind of like 45 minutes of a lot of sweating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and, and I think that that's also needed in this time, right? Yeah. Movement and, and exercise and the joy that that brings in and of itself, but we have to balance that. So I'll talk to you in a few months and so we'll get back to you in, in six months and I'll have a better answer to that. <laughs> I don't know exactly. Right. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Um, but I think we're ready to go in and be flexible and creative. Sure. Dynamic process. Dynamic process. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Well, so this episode will be aired in the middle of October as you guys are going back. Um, so for those people who are listening, can you tell um, us about some upcoming NDI trainings and workshops? Yes, I would be delighted to. Um, so yes. So in my role as the director of the NDI Collaborative, I really am responsible for training teachers, mm -hmm. both our own staff, but also trainings to the wider community. And this year, um, this fall and winter, for sure, our trainings are all going to be online. Mm -hmm. um, we just we found last year that that is a very effective way to reach teachers who are very busy <laughs> and live all over the country and around the world. We had a lot of international sign in last year Amazing. from everywhere. I trained a couple teachers from Uganda this summer. And so we've had teachers from everywhere joining, which is really wonderful. Mm -hmm. So in October, we have a what we call the Teacher Training Tuesdays series. Mm -hmm. And it's just Tuesday uh, evening, 5 to 6.30 Eastern Time workshops with various guests, not always guests. Um, but we're going to run one workshop that's um, tips and tools for maximum engagement in the classroom. Mm -hmm. A lot of these strategies okay, we're back, the school year's back. How are we gonna engage our students? Yes. Um, with some very specific, tangible strategies. Mm -hmm. And in all of our workshops, we don't talk about it, we do it. We're up, we're trying it, we're dancing, and then we're processing. Mm -hmm. uh, then we're gonna do some uh, a workshop on music and musicality mm -hmm. in your classroom. Music and live music is a huge part of our pedagogy. And we work with an incredible group of musicians. So that's another one. Um, and then we're having a guest author, um, Erica Halverson, is going to come on October 26th and be a guest uh, author and educator. And she's just come out with a, a book on arts education. Lovely. 
and um, she's going to come and speak. And she also is an alum of NDI. And she is speaking to your earlier question. She credits NDI as one of the places that really had a huge impact um, on her sense of self and her, you know, what the arts did for her. Wonderful. And in her in her journey, and now she's a professor and um, an educator and an author. So she's going to come and join us um, for that. And then in November, we run what's called NDI in the Art of Teaching, our fundamentals course. Mm -hmm. And that is a, a little bit more of a deep dive in like our core method, mm -hmm. the NDI method. Here's the fundamental tenets. Now let's try it. It's a cohort of teachers that are together for four weeks mm -hmm. and have a lot of opportunity to practice what they're learning, both on their students and come back, but also on each other mm -hmm. and get mentorship and feedback in the moment and get to try it again. Lovely. So it's very, very supportive and collaborative and, and, and wonderful to get to work as a cohort. So that's in November. And then um, we'll have more things in the winter. Amazing. I think it might be time for a rebrand from NDI to IDI, International Dance Institute. If you have people from <laughs> Uganda, just saying, you can put that on your back it's, burner. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We do have, we also do have inter some international programs. We we train teachers in um, in Beirut, Lebanon, and in Shanghai, China, and they and run you know programs that are based on the NDI philosophy. So yes, okay. that the vision, Jacques' vision, and the vision that's being carried on is is a big one yes, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and can you and all these the, all this information will be in show notes? But can you tell listeners where they can um, go learn more about and then register for these workshops and trainings? Yes, I can. The best place is to go to um, our website, mm -hmm. ndicollaborative.org. That's the collaborative page on our website, ndicollaborative.org. Um, and also you could always go to nationaldance.org and learn more about all the things we're doing, including our you know, collaborative workshops. Nice. So you shared a lot of great things. Um, is there anything else that you want to share before we sign off? Only that I wish all teachers everywhere a great, you know, start to the school year. And, and we're all in this together in really um, bringing out the best in students. And dance education is, is so vital and so needed. And, you know, we're, 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 all, we're all doing this work together. We are. We are. Thank you so much, Emily. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. If you like what you hear, we invite you to leave us a review, rate us, subscribe to our show, and share your favorite episodes with a friend. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.